we've got the Need the Need to Podcast. This is episode 16, The Firm from 1993. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us to continue, I guess, celebrating or talking about discussing, analyzing, breaking down Tom Cruise's lawyer period, which I <laughs> yeah. did not know was a thing, yeah. but is part of the pun, firmly a thing, the last two movies with us from the past, from the last episode, from A Few Good Men, we have Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hello. Thank you for joining us. This is, I was trying to think, maybe aside from the Transformers movies, is this the longest movie we've ever watched for a podcast? <laughs> it is. It's long. And this it one feels long. long. Yeah. It's not like far and away that didn't feel long. This feels long. Yeah, I mean, even Nymphomaniac, which was two entire movies didn't feel oh, yeah. quite as long at that part. <laughs> it, do, it does in different ways, though, I think, but uh, I know where you're coming from. Uh, maybe I had my eyes closed a lot during Nymphomania. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have either of you seen this before? No, so I, like I mentioned, I guess, last Cruise episode, I only knew this movie by its reputation, so I had kind of... Which was what? Which was bad. Um, okay. <laughs> just, I had known this to be a bad movie. People were upset that it was such a great book, apparently, and, and everyone hated how it came out, and... Uh, what Sidney Pollack did to it and everything. And so I, I just like kind of one of those movies I actively just like avoided because I took the public's word for it. Damn, why did I? Because I had like, I kind of liked this movie. I thought it was kind of fun, I have to admit. Tobin, had you seen this before? I go way back with this movie. We used to, in the summers, we used to drive a couple hours each way to get to visit family a few times throughout the summer. And in this era, actually, I guess starting in like the early 90s, 91, when the firm, the book came out, we started to listen to John Grisham on tape as we drive back and forth. So I listened to the firm probably younger than I than I should have. And it was <laughs> kind of foundational for me in terms of all kinds of like you know on the run and like uh, who who, who's the good guys who's the bad guys conspiracy yeah conspiracy stuff totally and so i saw this movie i was what 14 or 15 when it came out i saw it in the theater and have seen it a number of times since then i have a real soft spot for this movie so this is for sure our first john grisham movie on Mm -hmm. Any of the podcasts we've done, Mike. Podcast, yeah. This movie had a budget of forty-two million, made worldwide two seventy, so it was a massive runaway hit. I liked it better when it was remade, where Al Pacino played the devil. That's what I like better. <laughs> I like that version it's, of this movie it's, more. It's so close. This is to the point where there's a guy with the last name Lomax. This mm-hmm. is the Devil's Advocate minus the supernatural stuff, with a little bit more sort of legal bound, realistic twists and thrillers and the mafia (laughs) two-thirds of this movie is the same movie i liked this movie i didn't love this movie this is definitely in the middle to lower tier cruise for me tobin do you think that this whole like in comparing to the book another sort of difficult to do again this is a very long movie so maybe it packs in more of the book than other adaptations do does this hold up to the book does this do it justice in a lot of ways it does although the the scuttlebutt when the movie came out is that the first half or maybe the first two-thirds of the movie are quite faithful to the book and then the last half or a third of the movie departs wildly from the book so when the movie gets kind of bad or not as good as it was like I, i like the slow build up and then it just gets like everything's happening. Yeah. Some of that everything does happen, but a lot of it doesn't. My memory is that they made it a lot more complicated. Mm. That Like the whole thing about the firm overbilling people 
my memory is that that is an in an, an invention for the movie. Really? Oh, and okay. That, yeah. But that's and like that the, the central conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> my memory is that that was in the book, but that wasn't the way he got out of everything. I remember that being a big thing when the when the movie came out. It's like, oh my gosh, this is this movie, this new kind of genre is being born before our eyes. This kind of John Grisham, man on the run, legal thriller. Except that those who read the book felt pretty disappointed that the second half was you know departed so much. So now my big question in terms of the I guess further departures possibly from the book is that the original ending had Tom Cruise's character getting killed by the mafia because he what? thought that they were going to he was going to turn them over to the FBI. But when Tom Cruise signed on and there's a handful of other people who are considered or you know, but when Tom Cruise signed on someone of his star power, that coupled with the fact that Paramount was like you can't kill a star 2 hours into their ordeal. Like this feels <laughs> like the kind of movie where like, oh, he's going to get out of it. Like I, it just feels the way that it's all put together. I <laughs> never had a doubt that he was going to get out of it okay. That you yeah. know, maybe he would lose things, maybe he wouldn't be with his wife, but like he wasn't going to go to jail, he wasn't going to get killed, he was always going to get out of this. And I never had a doubt yeah. there. But apparently in the original ending, his character was killed. The premise of the movie... Actually, Tobin, if you want to do your uh, plot summary, either a uh, real bad style 60-second plot dump or your contender style, but you would probably be able to describe this a little bit more accurately than me, even though I just saw it. But can you sort of succinctly describe what is actually happening here so people know if they haven't seen this movie? So here's the here are the broad strokes. Tom Cruise plays a young lawyer coming out of Harvard. He's like third in his class at Harvard Law. He's getting recruited by all these prestigious firms, and he gets this wildly incredible offer from this small firm in Memphis. And he convinces his, um, his wife, Abby, to go with him. They move to Memphis, and it turns out that that firm is in bed with he hasn't learned this right away but like things are off with the firm the firm seems very seems very controlling of everyone two of the people in the firm recently died rather mysteriously he begins to sort of uncover things about the firm and it turns out that they are in bed with the mob and and overbilling their clients and uh, <laughs> FB, fbi is trying to recruit him to inform on them and he has to find a way to wriggle out of uh, and end up not being either an informant for the FBI or on the hook to the to the mob or the firm. He wants to be a free a free man again. And the and most so important thing it seems best. like is that he does not want to get disbarred because he's just this lawyer who literally just passed the bar. <laughs> if he rats on the mob and turns over the, the documents that show the overbilling or show whatever, he will be revealing breaking attorney-client privilege. And so right. he's trying to basically thread the needle between all of these different things and come out on top. So in the book, does his character die or does his character live? No, his character lives. So okay. where did that ending come from? I, I think maybe where that ending could have come from is someone saying, like, let's take a chance here. Like, Because nowadays you would kill the lead actor in a movie like this, right? Like you could get away with something like that. It's there, there was. I feel like there was a point, sort of around the 2000s, where pulling the rug out from someone while watching the movie by killing the main character, you know, like the psycho effect, was sort of back in vogue to a degree. But I don't know. You're right about like doing it at this time doesn't really make much sense. Uh, I think keeping him alive. Yeah, I had no doubt that he was ever going to die. I mean, his character. I really like this character. He's just too smart. Even though he's like panicking and making wrong moves, he's still. I never doubted his intelligence and uh, that he was ever going to get out of this situation somehow and, and, and you know just by virtue of you know getting them on mail fraud right like something that mm -hmm. seems so boring and ed harris is so pissed about it but like it's just as good right like they got al capone on tax evasion like you get them you get them i really like this character i'm glad he didn't die but i could I sort of understand where they might be coming from because he's so likable if he died it would be like man uh, that's such a bummer or something knowing it's a john gershon movie seeing the movie poster a title called the firm where there's like you know it's just all of these things lead you to believe that this is gonna be like this, this tense taut thriller where like 
things are going to go wrong. And the way the movie opens, and I guess it's sort of the changing of his character, but, like, the movie's, like, light and airy and bubbly, and he's going to these different job interviews, and I'm like, why is this so, like, it feels so wildly positive and upbeat and, like, not at all what I was expecting. The directorial styles in the, in the beginning of it, and maybe, Mike, that's where you're part of the, the public critique of this or what you had heard. It just feels like there's choices being made here that don't quite mm-hmm. fit what I feel like should be the aesthetic. Not that I want this to be like some like grimy, dark, like depressing or whatever, but I feel like there's just tonally, it doesn't quite yeah. jive, at least early on. Yeah, no, I felt that too. And I was watching this with my roommate and we were both sort of sitting there like with all this like lounge piano music going on and it's like <laughs> so brightly shot and you by know, the way I'm this like, was nominated for best score at the oscars oh, so keep that well, in consideration I'm yeah nominating Which it is. for my least favorite moment of the movie <laughs> um when we get there we were just like the tone is off like like i could understand you know creating a false sense of security for like the first 15 20 minutes or something like that but then i want to get into like a real sort of cloak and dagger-esque sort of noir-ish just in the shadows like he ne- it needs to be more all the president's men or something and it just feels like too lighthearted at times. I think you're right. Like it's not dark feeling enough. Like, you know, it doesn't feel dark enough for me. I don't necessarily how it looks, but like it doesn't feel dark as it should. Tobin, do you agree with like do you I mean I know this movie has a special place in your heart, a formative movie in your youth, but do you yeah. do you see its flaws or is this sort of in a way like kind of bullet and do you agree with these as flaws? Yeah, no, for sure. I think it it I really do think that this was a new kind of genre i mean it's it's an amalgamation of previous there were clearly courtroom movies before there were thrillers before there were even legal thrillers before this but not of of this kind this this kind of like conspiracy version of that combines the old conspiracy 1970s conspiracy movies with the sort of legal the trappings of a legal drama like a legal movie where you never set foot in a courtroom was kind of unusual Mm, right and so i feel like we have gotten better as uh filmmakers at figuring out how to do that right so this feels like a a very primitive version of that like they're still trying to figure out how to exactly is this going to work are we going to lean into the conspiracy are we going to lean into the lawyer stuff are we going to lean into like the the sexiness of it or where where are we going to fit the movie doesn't always seem to feel like it's centered that way to me and part of that is the very bright lighting i agree the score i go back and forth on the score there are times i think the score is kind of it's kind of neat to have something very different for a score you know i like i i i think i prefer this to a generic score this is one of the things that other movies of this kind did not borrow you know Mm. i think i would have preferred a sax instead of a piano (laughs) (laughs) but you're right toby it 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 kind of feels like a prototype version of like a, a of a movie like it's got all the pieces but they don't seem to be gelling for me it's funny because there's like i noticed a jenga in the background of one of these but it's almost like these jenga pieces that like don't fit necessarily correctly yet or it's like a puzzle i don't know it's not coming together like it should for me but the Mm -hmm. elements are all there and i definitely give it a lot of credit trying to feel its way out of like what elements work best in this type of like new version of this thriller and i think a lot of it does work like i really enjoy his panic and his sort of descent into the conspiracy and confusion and what to do and i and i just love how he like calls everything out like as soon as the fbi comes up to him he tells the people the fbi come up to him and i'm like is he feeling them out or is he actually confining in them and he, no he's like feeling them out it's so like it's doing i love what it does with this guy with this character mm-hmm. like i really like this character um <laughs> i think that's my biggest takeaway i think what they did with him is great but there's some of those elements around him that just aren't sort of uh falling into place 
So let's flip the script, and instead of doing our favorite moment first, Mike, what was your least favorite moment? <laughs> Is there something, because I mean, we're talking more, we're sort of being more critical about a movie that I think all of us generally liked. I think this movie is done no favors by the fact that it comes immediately following A Few Good Men, right? Like, this is, <laughs> watching them in order like this, it's like, oh boy, like, there is, you know, if we had, if this had been his first lawyer movie, or this had come, like, years before, or whatever, like, I think it would have been, oh, this is, you know, this is pretty good, or whatever. Immediately following one of the greatest and the most iconic courtroom scenes and courtroom dramas of all time, it's like, oh, this, ooh, okay, uh, different, ki- different kind of courtroom here. <laughs> but Mike, what was your what was your least favorite part of the firm? Well, so like it really it really kind of was the music, uh, like that piano stuff. I really didn't like it. But if we're looking for like a like a specific moment, like a scene or something like that, I've got one of those too. It's when Wilford Brimley reveals to Tom Cruise that like he has the photos of him from mm-hmm. making out with that girl and having sex on the beach. Because I'm just I don't know. Wilford Brimley was not working for me in this movie and seeing him and then the murderer and Tom Cruise knows that guy's the murderer there's something off about like that whole thing and Wilford Brimley trying to be coy about you know see this is what like the FBI would do to get you to do what they want and he's really saying look now I got you like I'm gonna get you to do what you do you what think I it's because he's not saying diabetes <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, is really could... the only thing I know him from like I probably know him from other things but like my history of Wilford Brimley is very limited well the thing I think is one of his other great uh performances too uh but um i just that whole that whole thing about the, the security guards of the firm just really weren't working for me um i just don't think that they would be that i don't want to say careless but like i don't know they were very thuggish and it revealed to me that like wait i thought the th- the firm had its shit together a little tighter well, than this especially since wilford brimley later is like what do you think i am a night watchman like he clearly like that's all like <laughs> that's the movie's way of justifying like he's competent and good at his job they're like how'd you find this out like how'd you find out his brother's in prison he's like well what do you think i am a night watchman like oh he's good at his job but it does feel sort of clumsy i think you're right again like i don't necessarily like hate anything going on in this movie you know what i'm saying like i was very pleasantly surprised watching it i guess the one thing that is like i like that that scene's there it just bothers me the way it's sort of playing tom cruise's character god bless him i love that he does this he goes and tells his wife that he had the affair on the beach like before anyone can tell her you know like he's constantly doing shit like that in this movie so i guess even though it was like my least favorite scene it sort of spawned a scene that I loved sort of right after that when he's telling his wife about everything. So I think, you know, my least favorite part ties into part of what you were just saying. Like, I love, I like with you, I like that he's trying to, he's feeling out his bosses at work. He's confessing to, like, this all happens quickly. Like, the FBI, like, again, quickly relative to the movie. Like, this is a two and a half hour movie, (laughs) two hour, 35 minute movie. But you hear, like, she's like, last week, last month, and you're like, oh, wait, yeah, time's been flying Time's flying. But the FBI, like, the FBI comes to him, like, 20 minutes or 30 minutes in, we don't know who they are, but we know that they're people who know things, right? They have the meeting in the park like an hour in, and then he tells his wife about the affair like an hour 20 in. There is a lot of the movie still to come after this happened. Like, it's not like late game reveals. It's like, oh, this is like central. Like, I like that they, not only that they have them, they happen early, that we're able to build on that, right? Yeah, like when the FBI tells him, like goes to him and he's in his car, I'm like, oh, we're going to get like 20 minutes of him sweating it out. And like, no, like the next scene, it's like he tells his <laughs> Bosses, I'm like, shit, this movie is just going to keep going and going. Like, there's going to be... A, no wonder it's two and a half hours. So my least favorite moment tied into a little bit of what we're saying, and I think this might just be the fact that 
this has been done better, that we've probably seen knowingly or unknowingly like hundreds of versions of this movie since this movie came out. But I felt like the this is maybe was just a lucky guess on my part. But I felt the hooker on the beach, and then his wife being with him, like sort of you know seducing. Gene Hackman, like, mm-hmm. I just felt like these things that are supposed to be like, oh, can you believe, like, look at, like, oh, I can't believe that, like, that was a setup on the beach. It's like, well, obviously. I just felt it was so <laughs> yeah. apparent, like, oh, yeah, clearly, when Tom Cruise, like, drunkenly stumbles over, and this guy who's roughing up this woman wanders away, and then she, like, perfectly seduces him, it's like, oh, of, of course this is gonna come back to play. And I feel like there's a couple of those moments where just, like, if they had been telegraphed less or handled better or removed or changed i would like this movie more but it felt like a lot of it and this just might be the fact that this is a 26 year old movie that as tobin was saying we've learned how to do this better a lot of that just doesn't feel fresh or new or as surprising as it's meant to yeah i i really do think the to agree with the last thing you said there that this has to do with the fact this movie's been borrowed and imitated and you know so many times these we didn't know what the twists and turns of a legal thriller were going to be like the idea of someone stepping into an organization and discovering that it was watching your every move is not at all a fresh thing today like we all assume everybody's watching everything we do and and we're and we'd be looking for those setups and also i now again i was 15 so what what the hell do i know but i remember being you know at least listening to the book very surprised by, by that you know i don't know if i'm representative of of you know a broader audience but i do think that has that does have something to do with it. We just become accustomed to it. It's like people watch Psycho now and they're like, yeah, I get it. It's the mom, <laughs> but it's him, right? Like, Yeah, like there's scenes in this movie that you're right, Tobin, like people have been studying this movie for years and, and riffing from it and stuff. Like the, I, one scene that sticks out in here that really bugged me was when he, they're first, they're down in the islands and Gene Hackman is in, they're both in Gene Hackman's room and he first discovers the files, right? He finds that big closet filled with files. And then he mm-hmm. like kicks his red stripe and it like shatters instantly and like pours beer everywhere. And like, he's not going to clean that up or like anything, but then not even that, it never comes back. Well, no, no, he, <laughs> he locks it in the room with the files that like have, are the key to everything everything presumably never goes back into that room and so there's just shattered glass and just sticky beer residue on the ground <laughs> and like anybody walks in there be like oh something is up yeah and, and it feels like something that like a thread that was just sort of kind of forgotten about but planted for a reason you know and like nowadays i feel like that won't be wasted later on in the movie when his wife and holly hunter are sort of doing the whole copycat copy game when they're doing the whole thing with the files and stuff like i would have thought for sure that gene hackman would have seen like the red stripe bottle smashed and like something's up, something's going on, but I'm too drugged to do anything about it. And I also, I do want to give the movie a little bit of credit there because like that whole time I was so tense, not because I didn't think he was going to get caught there. Cause I feel like that would have pivoted toward a very different movie, but like he is in that closet for so long while Gene Hackman was taking forever to get dressed. And I was like, what are you doing guy? Let's pick up the pace, like do this later or something. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel a lesser movie might have had him come out there and then, he would have to talk his way out of it or whatever. But again, I agree, Mike, that there's sort of that that thread left hanging where it's like, well, somebody found this at some point, but they're just not going to say anything? I don't know. And, and I was kind of thinking the same thing, Joey, about the sex on the beach scene and stuff, because I'm like, he's too smart to kind of fall for this. Like, because I was, I wasn't, at, I, was, I didn't realize, like, until later in the movie, he's much smarter. But, like, you know, when I was thinking back on that, I was like, because we see the one girl there with, and, like, Gene Hackman's trying to get him into, like, a 
you know, compromising situation. And the girl's mm-hmm. like, hey, stick around. And he's like, nah, 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 I'm good. And all this kind of stuff. I just wish there was maybe one or two more kind of attempts to trick him or get him more drunk or one of those things. Because at the time of the movie, I bought it. But later when I was like, oh, he's too smart. I was like, I don't think he would have necessarily done that so quickly. But that's just, you know, the movie wants you to get there. And it's okay because like... You know, there's so much going on. It it needs it to happen. I'm willing to kind of give it that mulligan. Tobin, what about you? What is your least favorite part of the firm? My least favorite part is the last two to 15 seconds of almost every scene. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sidney Pollack, the director of this movie, began his career as an actor, has directed some movies I really love. Um, Three Days of the Condor is one of my favorite movies. He won Tootsie out of Africa. But I think because he was an actor and because he, he was sort of known as an actor's director and he was really, really good at working with actors. And But I think it means that sometimes he's a little in love with the performance so that everybody has to have that extra beat, that extra turn, that extra glance, that extra th- you know little bit at the end of the scene, which is fine except as it adds up I start that's what that's what makes me begin to check out of this movie a little bit in addition to sort of the over complexities of the plot it's a little bit of a joke but I am also serious I think I think they could have shaved easily 25 minutes off of this movie which by just would cut, help so much yeah cut down on the ends of a lot of scenes like I really felt that with Ed Harris for some reason where I'm like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's just because he looked weird in this movie let's, uh, hold on. Uh, I wanna, I'm, let's, let's, let's pump the brakes for a second I want to talk about so in Westworld he is meant to be this physically important Posing, wiry, tall, like bald guy. Like Him, a mean son of a bitch. Purely yeah. bald with these glasses is like the most terrifying look I have ever seen. And <laughs> it's just uncomfortable. Like, I don't know what is happening. Again, hair blindness a little bit. Like, I, I recognized him because the voice is iconic, but I was just like, who is this, you know, this demon of a man? Oh, and he's FBI. Like, what is, what? Yeah, I did. I totally felt like he stepped out of another movie. But I think that's just the movie, you know, trying to be like, oh, he's a, uh, an agent, right? Like, he's an FBI. He reminds me of the uh, observers from Fringe or like these bald agents from the future or whatever but like just the way he was so stiff and rigid and, and I understand what what they were doing with his character he's supposed to be you know a stick in the mud but like then you see when when Tom Cruise talks to like his boss right on that bench which is like the ultimate conspiracy movie scene that's in mm-hmm. like every movie ever right where mm-hmm. it's like a guy on a bench telling him everything that guy had like the look the feel the voice just the whole everything going on and then you cut back over to Ed Harris and it's just like I don't know I just don't see that guy in this world for some reason but the camera did linger on him. <laughs> now, what I'm going to say, my favorite moment in the movie was, is a scene and two characters that, when they're introduced, feel like they're in Twin Peaks. Oh, same same here. Okay. Gary Busey <laughs> and his yep. assistant, yes. Holly Hunter, when <laughs> oh. she is in this, just like this, essentially Lucy style from Twin Peaks, blonde wig sort of, and like doing like wackiness, like standing weird and talking weird and dunking a thing or whatever. And then I'm like, I don't know who she is, but I love her. And then she's like, oh, here's my boss, essentially. And we look at this Gary Busey. I was like, what? Like, why have we not been here for the first 50 minutes of the movie? And then six minutes later, he gets killed. And I'm like, God damn it. And she would go on to get an Oscar (laughs) nomination, which obviously people love her in this movie. But I was like, these two, especially their introduction, I was like, oh, this is what, this is the movie. Like, I want the Rosencrantz and Gilderstern of this. Like, I love Tom Cruise. Don't Don't get me wrong. I want to be here in this private investigator's office because this is the best part of the movie. (laughs) I almost expected Holly Hunter to do that dance from Fire Walk With Me at some point 
with what she was wearing. It's like the, when those scenes came on, I was like, now I feel like I'm in Memphis. Like, this feels mm. like Elvis and all that kind of stuff. Like, the sunset in his window, and it had just, like, that great noir vibe to it and everything, and it was such a fresh character coming in like that. And I'm so glad that Holly Hunter sticks around for the rest of the movie. But if anyone needed, like, a light under them in the theater, like, that would have gotten me you know yep. giving me a second yep. wind or anything yeah that was great she's on screen i think for like five minutes and 39 seconds something some like wild amount wow. it's like one of the least amount huh. of times least amount of screen time that any actor has ever been on screen to get an academy award nomination like she's in like 18 scenes or 20 scenes or something for like 18 or 20 seconds each like she's just here and there popping it up but she's such a burst of life here it's incredible like i feel like if we were doing that today that would be amy sedaris i think because like it's just the same kind of like quirkiness <laughs> where it's just like you can't help but love her and you know i love her her hair her wig changes or hair changes or whatever man oh man do i like that character and i like gary Busey for the five or six minutes that he's on screen those scenes like really feel like they're going out on a limb and sort of pushing it and having a lot of fun with it you know they're more colorful like mm-hmm. those characters are more vivid and wild like do you think that the rest of the movie could have used a little more of that maybe like a little more eccentricity with some things like gene hackman right like he just kind of feels like a lecherous old man like don't you think like he should have had like something a little weirder going on or or you know the guys that like hired I don't know or like his wife like Tom Tom Cruise's wife like she's just like there's really just nothing I feel like to grab onto there like I I feel like I needed like she needed a secret or something weird to like really make her pop out off the screen but I I don't know because like when those guys came on I was like I just wish the rest of the movie wasn't as grounded as these scenes uh, feel like these scenes feel like they're you know nice and loose and like having a lot of fun that's a great way to put it there's a there's a place playfulness to these scenes and 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 eccentricity yeah that's a great way to say it i i think they try to do that with the gene Triplehorn character the wife um abby when she does this whole seduction stuff with uh gene hackman but it does it's it comes too late and i don't know that i really buy it and at, at that point i'm like this is just getting too complicated <laughs> now i'm not i'm not really i'm not really you know on board as much anymore um, i do think that i think you're right i think that kind of maybe what they were going for is that you've got sort of two levels of sort of social levels here. You have the upper crust white shoe law firm folks, and then you have the like CD underbelly folks. I, I wish there was a little more, a little more eccentricity in the, in the law firm for sure. I think in retrospect, this movie also benefits at least in my eyes for like including actors that I really like that are again, sort of not eccentric, not unique, but they're just people that I really like. Like for instance, character actress, Margot Martindale as Tom Cruise's assistant. Like I was just like, I love her in so many things. She's also back Mike from days of thunder. I like oh. Dean Norris, Hank Schrader from breaking bad as sure. Credited yeah. as quote, the squat man. Um, he's the guy <laughs> oh, he was, <laughs> he was gets described as he's, squat i don't know thug number two yeah uh like i like seeing them like because they ha- like i have such affinity toward them from other stuff they've done but i think you guys are right like there's nothing to grab on there's nothing that's like unique about them it's just another character in this world or of this class or whatever you know who was working for me and i was very surprised was his brother in prison david Strathairn was playing him, right like for some reason like that's what i'm talking about like and maybe tobin you're right they're trying to so- show some sort of like 
class distance where like the rich people in this movie are are quote unquote normal like you would you know just whatever mm-hmm. but like the the poorer or whatever people are like wacky weird wild and like un, like uh, you know a little more colorful i got that with his brother like his brother was like in prison he was like a you know calm cool collect smooth motherfucker like he had all these outside contact Busey was one of right Busey kept saying your brother saved my life brother saved my life yeah when he meets holly hunter right they have like this instant connection that i totally bought immediately I was like, oh, we're gonna, they're going to end the movie together. Like, they're going to get together. Yeah. I, I knew yeah. it. I just felt it. I like that happy ending, too, where they're just off sailing with three quarters of a million dollars. Like, that's a nice life. Tubman, what about you? What is your favorite moment or favorite part of the firm? Well, we have just talked about it. It's the, my favorite moment that I completely forgotten was the Holly Hunter Davis right there. And st- the, the fact that they're able to plant a whole arc for those two characters in, like, three lines and, a, and, a, and some looks is really amazing and and that you totally buy it and i just think that's great i also i do despite how sort of milk toast a lot of the firm stuff is i do like the cast my other favorite thing is the casting of wilford brimley as the heavy like as the guy who's the and i mean heavy in the in the sense of like the bad guy right like that he's the that he's the menace the the muscle for the firm or at least like the brains behind the muscle i i i think that's kind of smart especially because you know we do think of him as the gentle guy from the tv show or from the the diabetes commercials or the oatmeal or whatever like i think that's kind of smart casting to make him kind of uh kind of menacing yeah it is kind of against type for him right like i think that's what worked in the thing too it was like oh like wilford brimley is gonna survive this he couldn't possibly turn out to be you know well spoilers for the thing but like he couldn't possibly be part of the thing and you know surprise surprise (laughs) oh also spoilers earlier for psycho in case you haven't seen psycho uh (laughs) 60 years later (laughs) early on when cruz is sort of giving his family backstory and he doesn't mention his brother in prison obviously for different obvious reasons but mike he mentions that his father was killed in the coal mines i was like is this all the right moves is this that character having escaped oh my gosh that's a great call. I was just thinking him and Sidney Pollock are going to cross paths again and eyes wide shut. And that's why that happens, because when oh. when they had to reshoot, Harvey Keitel had played that part for the first, when they like shot it. Like half to, a year or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and with, he was no longer available, quote unquote. I don't know exactly what that means, but so Tom called in a favor and out came, out came Sidney. That's awesome. And speaking of, I guess, this is a terrible transition, but speaking of all the right moves, speaking of uh, athleticism, a couple of moments in here, possible nominees for most athletic moment when... I don't know if it's him or not, because there's nothing in the trivia, but when Tom Cruise does the cartwheels in the back handsprings in the beginning of the movie, like, that is... No way that's him. He's... He, <laughs> I, I would... I do not doubt that he can do anything. No no way that's him. Do you think he jumped out of the window? So that was another thing. I, that movie? wasn't one of my two. That's another thing okay. where he dives onto, like, I don't know, a truck full cotton? of pillows or something? I don't know, yeah. I thought it was, like, bales of cotton or something. I guess. But then the other thing is that at the end of the movie where he's setting up the one guy to kill the other guy and he's running through, like, again, a lot of running in this movie, too. A lot tons, of running. We're going to make note of that for sure. <laughs> yeah. He, like, does that pull-up on the, the water bar, the sprinkler or whatever, and then, oh, like, yeah. does gymnastics and kicks out the window. It's like, that's a combination of him and maybe a stunt guy or whatever. But, like, there is stuff that his character does in this movie for someone who is never shown to be doing anything athletic. It's not like in For a Few Good Men where he's got a baseball bat and he's playing softball and like he's like oh like athleticism is 
important to him. Here, it's just like, you know, he's a lawyer who, of course, can, like, sprint throughout this entire world and do gymnastics and do back <laughs> handsprings down the street. Like, okay, sure. Yeah, and he's also playing basketball in the beginning of this movie. And, you know, the last movie, his lawyer, his lawyer character played softball. It's funny you say that, like, oh, he's just, like, he can do whatever because he's Tom Cruise and stuff. And, like, the weird thing is, I was watching this movie going, like, this kind of makes sense that he's, like, he knows all this shit because he's a lawyer. Like, you got to be smart to be. And I'm just sitting there, like, letting the movie work me over left and right, like, the whole time. But I'm having fun doing it. because some. Re- but I, I totally was feeling that, too, Joey. Like, when he's doing that, like, pole plank or whatever they uh-huh. call it, but that's, like, a real physical challenge to do something like that and it's like how did his character think of something like that oh he probably like read it in a book or something you know because he's a lawyer and he's smart like it's so weird how i just like didn't have an issue with that whatsoever because i just deem this character so smart yeah i want to make note of a line that he says um i don't remember who this is to tom cruise says you're gonna feel like you were fucked with a dig big enough for an elephant to feel it and I was like, that's certainly one way to get your point across. <laughs> I don't, what, what is the context for that line? I don't remember, like, I was so engrossed in what the line was that I didn't even write down when he said that. He, they're trying to get Sunny Caps, this, like, big fish in their fur, oh, not to move, yes, like, yes, not yes, to switch yes, yes. Is that Jerry Weintraub? That's Jerry Weintraub! Yes! Yes, yes, so. yes. Who's Jerry yes, Weintraub? The producer, he's the producer of the Oceans movies, among Oh, okay. Others. Uh, but yeah, that line, I was just like, oh, I don't know if it's a test for him, but when he and Gene Hackman are down there, and it's sort of the proving that he can do this, or that he's good, or whatever, and just the way that he handles, like, it's, it's sort of like, like it's just as easy could have been, like, the guy, like, because he sort of does say, but like, do you know who I am? Like, you can't be speaking to me like that, but he just lets Tom Cruise say it, because the way that he says it and what he says... Uh, is right, essentially. Yeah, what a difference between that scene and the one with Jack Nicholson last time when they're, you know, going down to Guantanamo, and it's kind of the same situation, right? Where it's like, we're we're here to tell you why we're here and what's going on and everything, and, like, Jack Nicholson just, like, rolls right over him in that conversation. Uh, but here, like, he's in total control. He's not, he's not in control, but, like, what he's done has paid off, and, like, he's a real, like, kind of, like, risk-taker, and that was really interesting. I was just, those two scenes really came to mind for some reason. My other note about the movie, and it's important, and it's nothing to do with anything we've said, the crew, the car that Tom Cruise drives in the very beginning, the very end of this movie, is a 1984 Toyota Supra, which is, of course, important to my life, because it's the car that Brian O'Connor drives in The Fast <laughs> yes. and the Furious, although Brian O'Connor drives a 93 Supra, which is the year this movie came out, so there's all sorts of super connections there. Don't know anything about cars, I'm slowly kind of learning because of that podcast, but the Supra <laughs> is a big deal. Like I said, Best Actress in Supporting Role, Holly Hunter, lost to Anna Paquin in The Piano, Best Music Original oh. Score, Dave Grusin, lost to Schindler's List, but m- importantly, Mike, for our purposes, our reasoning, uh, this is the year of the Oscars that Tom Hanks would win for Philadelphia. So this is uh. the start of his two years in a row. When we get to the game in a little bit, could Tom Hanks play this role? I think we have to sort of look at it through two lenses, for, for now at least. Where we are with Tom Hanks, we're punchline era Tom Hanks, but also, even though I haven't seen Philadelphia, I know that it's a bravura performance, bravura mm-hmm. performance that wins an Oscar, sort of gets in this acclaim. We'll have to get to that, but I want to sort of uh, call a particular note to that. Tom, what are the the thoughts about the firm? Any other notes that you want to mention? The only other thing is that, do we talk about if Tom Hanks could play this role? Because I have thoughts about that. We will a little bit. Let's save that for a a little bit. Then then I have nothing to add until uh, we we get there. Mike, any other thoughts about the firm? I'm definitely going to rewatch this one someday. Like, I I think there's a lot more going on here than I was able to comprehend because there's just so much going on here. And 
and I was just overwhelmed by how it's not a bad movie. Like, I've been told it was a bad movie, like, my whole life. It's just not. It's not bad. Like, it's totally fine. And it's, like, parts of it are really, really good. One of my favorite scenes we didn't talk about is when he goes home, when Tom Cruise goes home to talk to his wife, and she's kind of pissed because he's been out late, and he just found out about, like, the conspiracy, and it's the the house is bugged scene. I really love that when he, like, walks in and he turns up the music and he walks over to her and whispers in her ear, and that's when she, like, runs and he runs after her and stuff, but uh, I I remember that, uh, for some reason, I remember that coming up on, like, clip shows or something, and people really, like, sort of uh, using that to promote the movie so i was uh, i was like oh it's it's that scene i'm finally witnessing that scene i should know this because i recently was on a date and the girl was a scuba diver and stuff but i can't remember can you not fly for 24 hours after <laughs> scuba diving that's the thing about trivia you're not supposed to fly and die within 24 hours okay okay so that's a true oh. thing yeah I, I thought that was interesting how sort of important that little minor detail became to like the end of the movie when gene hackman's like no i can't go scuba diving because my flight's early i switched my flight and then it's like a whole kerfuffle about like oh shit switch the plan don't tell Cruz. we'll do it ourselves we can do it so like, I, I just needed to know with i didn't i was just too tired to look it up so i figured i'd wait till the show <laughs> yes apparently it is a thing that you should not uh, i guess just because of the, what they what each does to your body that you should not do both really quickly back to back so so some trivia not a crazy amount of people, like, not one of those where it's, like, every actor in Hollywood, but uh, Jason Patrick, who I guess is most notable to us for being the lead of Speed 2, the guy who replaced Keanu Reeves, in a sense, turned down the role of Mitch, the, the Tom Cruise role. Charlie Sheen wow. was considered, which I feel is, uh, oh, again, yeah. par for the course by this point. Uh, as far as looks go, I feel like they're, like, doubles, him and Cruise, mm-hmm. right? Like, they got such a similar look. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges and Jason Whitmore were originally announced when casting began, I guess, for the Tom Cruise and Gene Hackman roles. I don't know. Bridges would have been interesting. What was he doing around this time? Like Fisher King kind of stuff? Robin Wright turned down the part that Jean Triplehorn took. You know, I like her. This would have been after she was Princess Buttercup, right before she was Jenna. So she would have. <laughs> oh. That's probably smart, though. I think that's not. That's a pretty thankless part. I do like I do like Jean Triplehorn in this movie. I think she's very pretty. I think she's competent in what she does. just that there's not a lot to, uh, exactly. to do there. Exactly. Not a lot there, right? Yeah. Halle Berry auditioned for the role of the hooker who seduces Tom Cruise. So that would have been like a, oh, oh did you see Halle Berry's first movie where she plays a hooker and sleeps with Tom Cruise? I don't know <laughs> if it was her first movie or not, but I'm assuming if she's auditioning for a part that small, probably not too far into her career. But the most interesting trivia about casting was one of Sidney Pollock's original intentions. This, I guess, I would imagine, has nothing to do with there. It's completely a deviation from the book. Is he wanted Tom Cruise to have an affair with his with the Gene Hackman character, except Gene Hackman's character would have been a woman and it would have been Meryl Streep. Whoa! So that would have been a wildly different movie, and I don't know how that would have played out, but that would have been interesting. I'm kind of curious about that. I don't hate that whatsoever, like... Do you think that they would ever try to do this movie again? Oh, they did like a TV show a year ago. Did they try yeah. and switch anything around? Like, because it feels like they could have done this again as a movie instead of a TV show. Like, the timing is sort of ripe with all the remakes. And like, as far as this genre is gone, I really feel like they could have come back and put out a kick-ass version of this today. Especially with like all of the new sort of like legalities that were running. You know, like update the firm kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But did you guys know anything about that show? So I'm looking at it right now. It was 2012. It ran for one season. Season, 22 episodes, created by Lucas Reiter. Uh, he had written for Boston Legal, Close to Home, Outlaw, and The Forgotten. He became a writer for The Practice. It starred Josh Lucas, Molly Parker, who I think is oh, from House okay. of Cards, right? Yes. Yeah. Callum, Ke- Callum Keith Rennie, Juliette Lewis, and Natasha Callis. It picks up the story of Mitchell Y. McDeard and his family 10 years later. 
after the novel and the film. So the television also has attempts to remain him. true to the conspiracy <laughs> element of its predecessors. And this is a network show. Like, they did 22 episodes a season. And I think yeah. what you would do is you'd take what I would do. Here's my pitch for the firm. Is you take the basics of this story and you do it today, but you do it in, like, eight episodes. Then, you you know, you do the limited series version of this. And then I think maybe you get to know some and, – and you change that Gene Hackman character to Meryl Streep. And, like, you could begin to do things like that to try and sustain – like, this. I'm not interested enough in this character to watch 22 episodes of a show of this character, you know? Yeah, I don't really care where he is today. Like, I'm not saying make it a period piece or anything, but, like, I was sort of low. Just, like, give me the original story again, but update it. Don't right. make it, like, what, like, Paul Servino's son is, like, after him <laughs> right. now or something? Like what? <laughs> That's just too cute by half. It seems like the uh, the real twist or whatever in this is that the the mob boss who had, he had put away, like the guy, dies in prison, which is enough apparently to let him come out of witness protection. I don't know. That seems like a stretch. Okay, if Tom Hanks, so Tobin, here's your here's your time to to give your thoughts. If okay. Tom Hanks were cast in the role of Mitch McDear, would it have worked? Would it have been good? Would it have been bad? Or would he have been cast somewhere else in this movie? Okay, I think that it would work if you did the book version and not the movie version. The book version ends up with Mitchell. He's less of a. He's less of a. I'm running, literally running from people, and like you know, jumping from the ceiling and out the windows and stuff. There's a little bit of that, but mostly it's he's you know jumping in taxis and like outsmarting people, and he ends up like stealing ten million dollars from the firm, like out of the mob's cut, and like escaping with Abby and the fishboat guy, like into the oh, Caymans, really? and, <laughs> and 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 but giving the FBI enough evidence to put the firm like. Uh, and the and the mob people away like it's a it's much more of a um it feels like you could you could you could do i feel like hanks would be a better fit for that than the kind of athleticism that you get in this version i like that ending more actually i felt like this ended was kind of like an extra scene too much like that last scene of them like packing up and leaving and going back to boston it just felt like a dud i was just like dud <laughs> end this movie three scenes sooner that totally. would have been crazy to see him even if they switched it up a little more and it was him and his wife on the boat with his brother and Holly Hunter or whatever and they were all just down you know sailing away together like it felt like it needed that we've escaped instead of we got you know what I'm saying like it feels Mm -hmm. like they got away too clean and that's the one thing I didn't like do you think it would have worked I mean I know that you you liked because I like also what Tobin (laughs) said but do you have any other thoughts in terms of if if not the cruise part could he have played I'm trying to think if he could have played another character in this movie and I'm not sure like there's not a lot of people sort of his age I actually do think that uh, Hanks would have worked in this role. I don't. I don't think it's one of the. I think it's a role that just requires a good actor because, like I said, I just really liked this character and the way it was written. So I could see him being portrayed by other people. It's the character to me, uh, basically. You know what I mean? Like, like the way they recast Batman or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter really who's playing Batman as long as Batman's well written and you know acts like Batman and stuff. Uh, so I totally could have seen uh, Hanks in this. I do think that this is in a lot of his zone. I agree with like the physicality. He may not have been able to do that pole vault kind of thing and like keep himself up in the air like for that long and, and everything. But <laughs> but that also feels tailored to Tom Cruise's abilities. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like this right. movie feels like, oh, we got an actor. Let's sort of make it more their own. So I think they would have found a way to, like you say, have him like play more crazy taxi or whatever he's doing to get away more smoothly and uh, exert less energy <laughs> doing it. Um, but, but the only other character I think he could have played is that one guy who looks like Anthony Edwards, whose name I always forget, but 
but like mm-hmm. he's he goes to his house when the two lawyers were murdered and he's in the backyard and he looks like he wants to kill himself and everything like that. He's yeah, not so in the movie he, much. Yeah. Oh, that was a that was a weird scene. That was a weird scene, and he never comes back. I don't think, but that is the only other place I think I could see uh, Hanks in here is sort of as like <laughs> sure. the guy in the firm who can't escape is in too deep and doesn't have like the smarts or the like resources that Tom Cruise will have throughout the movie to get himself free. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense that that would be his role. Yeah. I just realized that we recently watched for Boyfriend Material, which will be out soon if it's not out already because we're speeding up the releases of that. But we watched Fracture, which is the Ryan Gosling, Anthony Hopkins lawyer movie, which is bad. But (laughs) it straddles a line between what could be campy or what could be good and it winds up being neither. So it's like that. uh, This is not good. Gosling's assistant in that movie is a very young Zoe Kazan. So I feel like there's a lot of these lawyer movies lately where assistants are actresses that I really, really like, whether it is Holly Hunter or whether it is Margot Martindale or Zoe Kazan. Cool. I like it. I mean, give them more to do, but I know these are sort of earlier roles or whatever, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Toad, if you want to walk on roll, you yourself today teleported back in time 26 years to the firm. I guess we could all just sort of be lawyers, but what scene do you want to find yourself in? Where do you want to be in this movie? Part of me feels like I should say that I would be the Nordic man who's chasing Tom Cruise only because the actor's name is Tobin. <laughs> but that I wouldn't fit that part very well, very well, I don't think. I would like to be at that rooftop party that uh, the firm throws when it still seems like a pretty great place to be. You know, I'd like to be bl- blissfully ignorant of, <laughs> of this, what's going on and enjoying my sort of uh, my champagne and caviar. Love it. Mike, what about you? Oh, man. I think this is like the hardest one yet for me to really place myself. I can't. I'm having like a lot of trouble. But okay. So, oh, man, this is this is kind of terrible. But like, it's such a small, indistinguishable role. I think it'd be a good cameo where you're like in the credits. and You're like, holy shit, that was Mike. The guy <laughs> who helps set up Cruz with the prostitute. You know, the guy who's like pretending to get into a fight with her so that oh, like yeah. Cruz like comes over and like helps and stuff. And like only because like I know that it's not real and that the guy isn't really trying to like beat up on her or anything like that. But it was just like you can't see that guy's face and you for what that scene is, I feel like it's really well staged. Um, even though, you know, you know exactly like what's going on. But it's really well staged. It looks nice and everything and you can't really see that guy. So I think mm-hmm. like he's on screen. <laughs> you can't see his face. Like that'd be a great cameo. You know, I think I would put myself in the diner. I'll be not the waiter who takes the order for the steak sandwiches, but maybe helping the guy make the steak sandwiches. Um, <laughs> like, there's not a lot of places in this movie that I actually really want to be. Like, I don't want to be scuba diving. I don't want to be, de- you know what I mean? Like, I just want to be somewhere yeah. just doing some kind of job somewhere. And that's, you know, that's where I'll be. Just hanging out in that, that, uh, that diner, but watching Tom Cruise, you know, refilling his coffee helping make steak sandwiches that sounds that sounds fun enough i love that opening montage though right like that's such like that's such a great montage where it's just interview after interview and then he's like you know oh i'm sorry is there somewhere you need to be and he's like actually i'm i've, I've got to be at work and he's like <laughs> shuffling plates and stuff like uh, i thought that was great oh so mike we have an email oh shit great not and it's also from some, not it's not from, not someone from we one know. of our friends not like christian larson <laughs> but this is from someone named adrian solorio so hello Hello, Adrian. He says, to the Cruise Club. Uh-huh. I'm 15. I'm 15. And my favorite actor is Tom Cruise. I've seen a lot of his films. Oh, right. And I've just seen Far and Away. And I went to Spotify, looked up Tom Cruise, found this podcast. The latest episode was Far and Away. That is, if that's Whoa. not serendipity, I don't know what is. Wow. That's cool. The movie where Tom Cruise punches a horse in the face. 
<laughs> it's why we should all be talking about it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I'm listening to all your episodes, but only the movies I've seen him from. So I wish I could go on the podcast because I agree with your thoughts, but I also have some of my own and you guys forgot some stuff. Can't wait for Last Samurai and War of the Worlds. Keep up the good work. Well, I'm looking forward to Last Samurai because I don't think I've ever seen that in its entirety. Yeah, I've never mm. seen that. War man. of the Worlds I saw for our Channing Tatum podcast because he is supposedly in the movie, but then got cut out. So we watched an entire <laughs> two-hour-plus movie for an uh, actor who was not in it. So I'm excited to watch that movie and have reason to watch it. But thank you, Adrian, for writing in. If you want to yes. write in, run at cageclub.me. Let us know what you're thinking of the show, of the movies, of Tom Cruise. This podcast, I think just because of the movies that we've covered so far, is wildly more popular than a Tom Hanks podcast. So I know people are out there listening. <laughs> right in. Run at cageclub.me. Okay, next up. Does Tom Cruise answer? Obviously, yes. Does he run? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Lots. Lots. <laughs> but bigger question, more important question. Harperfect on Twitter says you could replace Tom Cruise's character name in any movie with Lightning McQueen. Not a thing would change. Do we think lawyer Lightning McQueen in this movie, would that work? Okay, so I I wouldn't put it past someone just calling him Lightning as a nickname. Right. <laughs> you know, like, man, you got that done fast. You're Lightning. Since I'm halfway there already, I'm going to say, sure, why the hell not? Just, you know, McQueen could be his last name. I mean, his character's from Boston, right? So that, is that an Irish name, McQueen? I'm not sure. It is, absolutely. But maybe not his, his natural-born name, but definitely, like, a nickname combined. Hey, Lightning. Yeah. Tell me what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the character's name is Mitch McDeer. So I think... <laughs> Lightning McQueen is not that that big a stretch if lightning is a nickname. It didn't quite work in A Few Good Men, but I think this movie is far enough from reality, if you want to say that, <laughs> where it wouldn't be like, oh yeah, light, of course. Like John Grisham had like his eight-book series about Lightning McQueen the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, of course. All right, let's nominate this for some awards. Best film, no. Worst film, no. Best filmmaker, no. I feel like this is kind of mostly good, some bad, mm-hmm, but kind mm-hmm. of down the middle. Like, I think this is, yeah. Mikey said you're going to watch it again. I might watch it again, but I'm more likely to, like, since we recorded A Few Good Men, I bought that. You know what I mean? Like, that's the movie that I'm going to go back to, especially oh, if I'm yeah, going to spend, yeah. like, two and a half hours watching a movie. Best of the worst, most fun, bad film, no. Mm, like, no. I feel like it, it could have entered that realm. It doesn't which is probably for its best, for the best. Best cruise, or best or worst cruise role? I mean, I love this character. I don't know what it is about it. But again, I don't, it's not necessarily, I don't know if it's entirely because of Tom Cruise's portrayal. I think I just like the role sometimes. And so, I mean, does that count? I would, I'd vote yes, I guess. But I mean, We'll put it there for now. Most badass role, I'm going to say no. No. Most wasted performance, no. Best fight? Doesn't really get in a fight here, at least as far as we're concerned. No. Also because you know where you're headed. So. Yes, exactly. That's the other thing to keep in mind. Best theme song, soundtrack, score, obviously nominated for an Oscar, but we're going to say no. no. Best car chase race? No, I feel like this could have been a movie where there's like a big car chase. He's got the Supra, but uh, no. Best dance scene? I don't... I don't think he dances. I don't recall any dancing. Missed opportunity. Best outfit, wardrobe, no. Best sunglasses. Good hair, though. Good hair. Great hair, <laughs> but like he is swimming in some of those trench coats that he's wearing. Yeah. Like, when he's got the executive on, it's like, mm. I think it's just 93. <laughs> like, if you watch, I know it's different for men and women, but if you watch the first few episodes, the first season of The X-Files, and just see, like, 
oh, the sure. biggest coats in the world that Julian Anderson is wearing. It's like, oh boy. Like as the series goes, I mean, she's always beautiful, but as the show goes on, like Dana Scully, the character gets better and better dressed. But like early on, she isn't like the boxiest. <laughs> I guess making her look even younger than she was even she was like twenty three. The actress when she's Jesus, it's just I can't get over how good she is so young in that movie in that show. Best sunglasses, no. Best death, he does not die. Oh, you know what he did wear in this movie? Go for it. I think for the first time regular glasses Mm. he was wearing like reading glasses in this movie and it was only for like one shot too so i maybe he doesn't like the way he looks in glasses but you know cindy pollock was like gotta get one shot in there (laughs) like you're a lawyer you gotta wear glasses at some maybe you haven't heard he has the bar exam to pass (laughs) (laughs) i am going to nominate for best line you're gonna feel like you were fucked with a dick big enough for an elephant to feel it because i like that there's also another, (laughs) another line later when he's talking to mafia he says i'm exactly like a ship carrying cargo that will never reach any port just like, oh yeah, be, that whole cargo around. ship yeah. metaphor. When like Paul Savino's like, I don't quite. What are you trying to say again? And he's like, What? Well, basically, I'm a ship at sea. I'm never coming in. It's like, <laughs> get it? He's like, Oh, okay, okay. You should have just said that. <laughs> Best freak out. No, he gets sweaty, but I'm not sure he gets really freaked out. The makeup in here is really good. Yeah. He gets sweaty, and even you know his wife is like, "You look tired." Like he looks tired. Like it's yeah, that's yeah. good makeup. He's freaking out on the inside a lot in this movie, right? Like he's not, <laughs> he doesn't show it like Cage usually will. And he even has one moment where he tries, I believe, like he tries to get like loud and screamy and stuff, and I just feel like he's too tired. <laughs> like he's just like, I can't it's even exhausting. like yell about it. Yeah. <laughs> Best sex scene. We almost get one where he's like making it up to Gene Triplehorn and he says something like do you want eggs and she says I already had eggs and he's like do you want eggs naked and then they start making out (laughs) and I was like does that work I liked it. What about with the the uh, the setup with the woman on the beach? I mean, oh, uh, sex on the beach. <laughs> well, okay, I'll say sex on the beach with a prostitute um, because I mean, yeah. like the, I mean, the winner right now is either sex in a waterfall with Elizabeth Shue and cocktail, or well, yeah, pick your scene from Risky Business. Given the age I was and the the when I saw this movie and the like that that scene had an impact on me. So, uh, oh, I'm but sure. no, you're right. I had I had not seen uh, a cocktail at that point, and that would have. <laughs> that would have been the, the but the, Iceland had the yeah I was just gonna <laughs> exactly <laughs> but not that part most athletic feats since we're not a hundred percent sure if the handsprings are cruise or not we'll just say the uh, water pipe gymnastics yeah and, and I'm not saying he couldn't do that I'm just saying the way they cut that like yeah. They, Clearly, are cutting to something, someone else jumping, and then back to him as he lands. I also I mean, you know, I, li- I like, I like the, uh, the 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 knife twist in the gut at the end, where it's like he walks by the same kid, and he just doesn't even stop, like he's dead inside. It's like, <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. yeah. All right, we get it. Yeah. We get it. We get it. That's the running scene. I feel like we have to nominate something. Running from the mafia? Running after his wife? I think it's got to be running with his with the um, case, with the briefcase. Like, all that running he does with the briefcase, mm-hmm. that's iconic from this movie. Like, yeah. having to run with that, like, in his full suit and trench coat and stuff, that's, like, you know, key uh, cruise. Yeah, and that feels like iconic imagery from this movie in particular. Right. And, like, then the genre it sort of spurred in a way is like you know it's like that nightmare it's just a guy running down a street you know yeah yeah right, that kind right. of thing yeah best or worst love story i'm gonna say no because there really isn't no. a love story I mean, there is, but there isn't. I like how his wife, like, kind of comes back to him after realizing, like, shit was really crazier than he even imagined, right? Like, like I, he told her, like, oh, I cheated on you and stuff. But then when she finds out, like, it's not that he, 
he was set up, but it's even more than that, and every and he's trying to undo it. I don't know. I just feel like this movie easily could have just lost that character. She never would have come back or anything. That they they really she becomes way more involved than I thought at the end. And I do really like that moment where he's like, "Did I lose you?" And he's like, "Wait, did I lose you?" Like, there's that real worry. Like, I sort of because he's very upfront, mm-hmm. open with her right the entire movie, which you talked about. Like, this is what I did. I messed up. This is what I'm doing. You're in on my plan. You have to help me with all this different stuff. And at the end of the movie, he's like, "I still like I still might have." screwed this up and I like that moment between them where it's just like did I lose you and she's like well no and like they're, they're together you know what I mean but yeah. again who knows if they're going like who knows what his future will hold whether he's going to be pursued right. by the law or by the mafia or by the lawyers or by whatever or if he's going to have a job or lose his wife or whatever like <laughs> well 10 years later he's going to be Josh Lucas on Fox <laughs> yeah I was going to say after 22 episodes I'll let you know what happens <laughs> best ensemble cast I'm going to say no could have been for sure so close right if, if Busey had a couple more scenes if Stray mm-hmm. Theron was around a bit more if Wilford Brimley was out of the shadows a bit more like everyone's here they're just not doing enough to really be considered like an ensemble like not everybody runs into each other either right and Gene Hackman is, is a real treat in this movie. He's like as close to co- sort of colorful characters as maybe you get. Maybe there are just too many people at the firm that we have to kind of get to know. Like maybe if there had been one or two fewer, it might have might have helped. I deleted the trivia, but I think it was Gene Hackman who would go on to do like three John Grisham movies in the next like five years. Like this is the first oh, yeah. of three. Oh, yeah. So like the, he made a, a healthy and, yeah, living yeah. in the 90s off John Grisham. And then final thing, best or worst non-Cruise actor, male or female? I feel like, again, do you want to nominate Gene Hackman or no? Holly Hunter. Or Holly okay. Hunter. What's her character I mean, she really is. She really is that good in this movie. Tammy Hemphill. Cool. So let's recap real quick. Six All things. Right. Best role, at least for now. Best line. Best sex scene, most athletic feat, best running scene, and best non-cruise actor female. Well, successful. Pretty good. So let us see what is up next. I scheduled a bunch of these podcasts. I don't remember what's up next. So up next, Mike, well, on our other podcast on Hanks for the Memories, next week, it's a big one. We've got The Burbs. Can't wait. (laughs) Probably the most requested, not a joke, Tobin, the most requested movie of either podcast, of either actor. More people on The Burbs. Also important to your Local life, your fellow Missoulin podcast host on this network, Nick Jenkins, is going to be in the next two episodes on Hanks for the Memories for the Burbs, and then our next Cruise Club episode, I think again falls into another one I have not seen. No spoilers. I know Brad Pitt's in it. This is another one I think, Mike, you said that was, oh, is yes. this falling the, the, this is a bad movie, don't see it? Uh, no, no. This is a, uh, I love this movie, actually. Yeah, I, I do don't too. care what any. I, do I don't care what anyone says. Yep. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. <laughs> I don't know what to expect. All I know is that they did not show up to the Vampire Council on what we do in the shadows, because. <laughs> but they called them. <laughs> they... <laughs> so yeah, so next week on the Hanks for the Memories feed, The Burbs, interview the vampire over here, and then following that up with Turner and Hooch on Hanks of the Memories. We just did Punchline, which was not a good movie, but I thought Oof. I think it was a good episode. We had Jordan on from the Wistful yes. Thinking podcast. So go check that out, because this every other Friday cruise club, alternating with Hanks for the Memories, Tom Tom Club, every Friday. Also on Fridays, Brian Rodriguez's High School Slumber Party, Fridays are for fun. Also on Fridays now, bonus episodes, but I think it's going to be most Fridays, Husbands Talking More or Less. They are currently wrapping up, or they might have already wrapped up, depending on when this comes out, the MCU. And now they are moving on to Alien, and they're going to go through the Alien franchise. Ooh. So go check that out. If you want a little sneak preview of Nico's thoughts on Alien 3, go check out, uh, he was on Third Time's a Charm oh, yeah. episode. Yeah. Him and uh, Chris podcasts were on that. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. That was a great episode. We yeah. have covered, the weird thing about this podcast network is we have covered Aliens, 
on your podcast, The Contenders, Tobin. We've covered yes. Alien 3. Covered, we've covered <laughs> Alien 3 on Mike, your podcast, Third Times of Charm. And we've covered Alien Resurrection on Winona Forever. But we have not, until now, covered the original Alien. You know, the movie that people consider one of the best movies of all time? Nah, we're not going to bother with that. We're going to do all the sequels of varying quality. We even did Prometheus for Charlize. We did Prometheus for Charlize. Yeah, it's... Uh... Oh, and Prometheus for um, on uh, Real Bad. Right. Oh, the same week. Right. right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so we have had five episodes about Alien and never covered. <laughs> but that's all going to be fixed over on Husbands Talking More or Less. Your show, Tobin, is on hiatus right now through the month of August. The contenders will be back in early September for Pitch Perfect 2. I want to get your... I want this to be a Cruise Club exclusive. Why Pitch Perfect 2 and not the first one? Because Elizabeth Banks is the director. Oh, okay, that's fair. Nice. And then your episode that just came out as we're recording this and probably last week as you're listening to this is about the Hunger Games, where you volunteered as tribute to uh, to take Peter down a peg, as he should be. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But Tobin, thank you so much for being here. And if you want more of Tobin, go check out either last episode, A Few Good Men, come back for future episodes, or go check out every other Tuesday, The Contenders. Last question. Real Bad is winding down. There's only about eight or nine more episodes. Do you have plans to be on any more episodes before that wraps up? I hope so. We are in talks. Well, stay tuned. Every Monday, Real Bad, (laughs) that'll wind up, wrap up somewhere September, October-ish. For all things Cruise Club, Hangs to the Memories, The Contenders, all the shows, all 25 shows, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run at cageclub.me. Shout out again to Adrian for writing in. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for Larson for writing in a couple episodes ago. Run at cageclub.me. Come back next week on Hanks for the Memories for the Burbs and in two weeks for Interview the Vampire. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington of the Contenders Podcast. And we'll see you in two weeks for Interview the Vampire right here on Cruise Club. Mm-hmm.